Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Come check out musician Matt Waller live at Walters on Saturday, August 20th. Register for free at waltersdc.com. Free beer included. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Here's the pitch, and there it is. Manessis hits it high in the air to deep left field. Hap going back. He's at the warning track, feeling for the fence. He leaves, and he can't get it. It's gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes Joey Manessis. It's his third home run in six games in a Nationals uniform. And he has given the Nationals the lead again here in the top of the eighth inning with a two-run home run. It's now the Nationals. Six of the Cubs, five. Unbelievable. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, August 10th, 2022, along with MadisonSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who is at Wrigley Field in Chicago. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, Juan Soto late night on Tuesday night hit his first home run as a San Diego Padre. But who cares? The Nats have Joey Manessis, for whom we need a nickname. 6-5 win at the Chicago Cubs on Tuesday night. Manessis homered again. He had a Nats two-run eighth, smashed a two-out, two-run homer to left field for a 6-5 Nats lead. We, on the last installment of the podcast, got into this. What should the nickname for Joey Manessis be? There's not an obvious nickname for Joey Manessis, but that last name is so unique. The guy has to have a nickname. We did get some submissions. We got the bus driver. We got Joey Decade for his 10 minor league seasons. We got Manessis the Menace. I don't know if any of those are good, Mark, but I do know that Joey Manessis is hitting bombs right now. And he, along with two home runs by Kbert Ruiz, gave us something on Tuesday night that we need to cherish. And that is a Nationals win at the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, so because he's made his mark here hitting home runs, three of them in his first week in the big leagues, Al, my contribution to this is a little play on a previous nickname of a one-time star of this team. You had Tony Two Bags in the past. How about Joey Four Bags? And this is what he does. He hits homers. I think that's pretty good. So I think that could work. I think we might have something there. Okay. So Joey Four Bags to the rescue because they needed him on this night. If they had wound up losing this game after all those other good things had happened, And the way that that seventh inning with Kyle Finnegan on the mound went, where it was just death by a thousand singles, base hit to right, base hit to right, base hit to right, nonstop. 
And all of a sudden, they lose their lead. And it was going to feel like, oh, man, they're going to lose their seventh straight. It's going to be a really demoralizing loss. And then here comes Joey Fourbags to the rescue with his third homer in a week. 30-year-old rookie having the time of his life. Look, I know this game meant nothing in the grand scheme of things. These are two teams who are so far out of it. Does not matter. But I'm telling you what, for the guys out there on that field and the crowd who was here, 37,000, they were into it. This was a fun game, back and forth drama. And if you didn't know what their place in the standings was, you would have thought that's a great ball game, reminiscent of the ones we used to see when both these teams were contenders. Really was a crazy game. You had the Joey Manessis homer late in the game. You had Kbert Ruiz hitting two home runs. You had Luis Garcia drawing a walk and batting in the number one spot. Who was that guy? I mean, you never see him draw walks, and yet he bats in the one spot and draws a walk. You had Paolo Espino having his best outing in a month and a half. You had the Cubs scoring four runs in an inning in which the team totaled seven singles, like you said, Death by a thousand paper cuts. You had a lot of weird and wild and wacky things happening. And maybe the weirdest thing of all is that the Nats won the game. I mean, the Nats won a game. They don't win these days. But the Nats did win on Tuesday night. And it was nice to see that. It really was. So, you know, I feel like Cabo Ruiz has almost like had his thunder stolen by Manessis just because the Manessis thing is so much fun. But just to put a capper on the Joey Manessis thought, I mean, like you said, we don't know where this is going. Age 30 season, this was his 10th minor league season. He gets brought up now two Tuesdays ago, August 2nd. I mean, he and Josh Palacios were like these two no-name guys who the Nats called up on trade deadline day off trading away Juan Soto and Josh Bell. But Joey Manessis now has hit three home runs. He's showing some positional versatility, which is kind of interesting. We're seeing him play corner outfield. We're seeing him play first base. And it's like anything else, man, just ride it. This guy's hitting, so let's ride it and see where it takes us. Yeah, 100%. And I think the Nats knew he could hit. He did it all year at AAA, and he's done it most of his career in the minor leagues. What I think they're surprised at, they maybe didn't know, was that defensive versatility, like you mentioned. He started in right field in this game. He didn't get an out, but he made a great throw from right field that I think everybody stopped and said, whoa, okay, this guy's got an arm on top of all that. So there's a spot for someone like that. You can find at bats, you can find an opportunity for him. And like I said, between him, Palacios, Ildemardo Vargas, you know, the younger guys like Garcia, Ruiz, they're young and they're hungry or old and hungry because they're finally getting a chance up here. And on a losing team like this, that's all you can ask for. Guys who are motivated to go out there and give their best and make the most of this opportunity that they've been given. And so, yeah, by all means, keep putting them out there. Ride the wave as long as you can. Is Joey Manessis about to become a big league regular at age 30? Probably not. But what were we saying about Paolo Espino the first time he came up? What were we saying about Yadiel Hernandez when he first came up? This team does have a knack for finding these guys well into their 30s, making their major league debut. And um, as we've joked about with the other guys, if he does stick... He can't be a free agent until he's like 37 years old. So they've got him under control for a long time. Very affordable. Well, that Nats free agency class of uh, 2064 is going to be something else with (laughs) Manessis and Paolo and Yadiel. I mean, I don't know how the Nats are going to afford all these guys, but that's a problem for another day. Manessis also had a single in the game on Tuesday night. He had an Nats three-run fourth, had a one-out single through the left side of the infield. But if not for Joey Fourbags, the man of the night would have been Kbert Ruiz. 
You know, I think we've all been wanting to see more from Kbert Ruiz offensively, but I think we're also all understanding of it. He plays an ultra grueling position. It is a position at which defense matters so much. It can't be easy as a young catcher having to navigate this pitching staff in particular. And so you try to cut him a break offensively while at the same time recognizing, you know, he was a major part of that trade with the Dodgers now two Julys ago, not just to be some like, you know, weak hitting catcher. Like he was brought here to be a franchise type catcher. And boy, did we see him play the role of a franchise catcher on Tuesday night. Kbert Ruiz, two for three with a three-run homer, a solo homer, and a walk. He and the Nats one run second had a one out solo homer to right field to put the Nats up one nothing, despite having been down to that count at 1.12. Kbert Ruiz in the Nats three run fourth, a one out three run homer to right field for a 4 1 Nats lead off having been down in that count one two. And Ruiz in the top of the six drawing a one out six pitch walk. I know that you've talked about this. The Nats, they want to see more power from Kbert Ruiz. There are some mechanical things that the Nats have been harping on with him. Boy, I mean, that was a different looking Kbert Ruiz who we saw on Tuesday night. Usually it's singles and, you know, maybe the occasional walk. You saw some real power from him on display on Tuesday night. Then this was exactly what they've been asking for, what they've been trying to get out of him. He's got really good contact skills, maybe too good because he can reach pitches almost anywhere and make contact and, you know, flare the ball to left center field for a single, that kind of thing. Well, what they want him to recognize is when you get a pitch on the inner third of the plate, it's okay to let loose, try to pull it, try to yank it down the line, see if you can hit it for some power. And he finally did that on a couple of pitches right on the inside corner. He's got the bat speed. He has the ability to do that. He just has to recognize the pitch and understand, okay, this is the time to cut loose and give a big swing. It doesn't just have to be a flip the bat out there and try to make contact kind of swing. So you saw it work to perfection on this night. He has that ability. And I think we got to give him time. Like you said, there's so much being asked of him. As a young catcher, your first priority is always going to be defense. Offense is going to come second. But he has natural skills that make you think that with time, he is going to figure this thing out. Is he a big time power hitting catcher? Maybe not. But I think he can be a 15 homer catcher at worst, probably hit for a high batting average, make contact, hit somewhere in the middle of the lineup for them eventually. In addition to being, as we know, looks like a pretty good defensive catcher. So it's all there. I think we sometimes want to see instant results and instant gratification of this, especially because it was such a high profile trade. And given what's happened with some of the other guys in that trade, maybe even more so. But all things considered, I think they're very pleased with what they've seen from Kbert Ruiz this year, understanding it's only going to get better. He had a good defensive game here too. We didn't even mention maybe the play of the game, the Lane Thomas throw to the plate and the tag by Ruiz that the Cubs thought he missed the tag. And when you watched the replay, you saw he did get him. Then he threw out a runner in the ninth, trying to steal second for a big out. And called some really important pitches down the stretch, including with Carl Edwards on the mound, calling for the curveballs back-to-back to get Wilson Contreras out. So this was really an all-around outstanding game for Caber Ruiz, and it shows you the breadth of skills that he has and the ability to be a complete catcher. One of the really interesting revelations, I thought, from all of the Juan Soto lead-up going into him being traded away was how the reporting pretty consistently was that Mike Rizzo last year, going into the trade deadline was almost like lusting after Kbert Ruiz. Like he really set his sights on Ruiz. Ruiz was the guy who Rizzo was targeting and he very much wanted him as a part of a trade package for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. And, you know, we'll see as time goes on here if Mike is proven correct, but a night like Tuesday night makes you feel like that Mike 
will be proven correct. Uh, really good stuff from Kbert Ruiz on Tuesday night. And, you know, it's funny. We've talked so much about the Nats and their lack of power this season and the lack of home runs this season. And Tuesday night is like the ultimate example of what the home run can do for you. The Nats on Tuesday night got out hit by the Cubs 15-9. The Nats on Tuesday night had a mere two at-bats the entire game with runners in scoring position as compared to 10 for the Cubs. And yet the Nats won the game 6-5. Why? The Nats hit three home runs. The Cubs hit one. The Cubs on Tuesday night played the role of the Nats. The Cubs had 15 hits. 13 of the 15 were singles. You know, it was like bizarro world for the Nats on Tuesday night. They were facing the mirror opposite of themselves. But, I mean, this really does reinforce what we've talked about. And, you know, I know there are people who love to poo-poo the whole launch angle thing and, oh, this is so bad for baseball. But there's a reason the launch angle thing is a thing because the home run is so powerful and it can cover up so much. I mean, the Nats really didn't do that much offensively on Tuesday night. But because they got these three home runs, they won a game in which they got out hit 15-9 like that and had so few opportunities with runners in scoring position. I think it's really instructive. So they scored six runs, and all six runs scored via three homers. It's a beautiful thing. It's funny how that works out sometimes. It just takes one big swing at the right moment, and Caber Ruiz was a big part of that, and Joey Manessis as well. And even though it briefly looked like the Cubs' singles parade might be enough to pull it off, it wasn't in the end, thanks to one more big power hit by the Nationals. And look, I think there's a balance ultimately. You know, it feels like such a long time ago, but the 2019 Nats were perfect at this. I thought they had the best balance. They had guys who hit for power, obviously, but they also had that ability to get that two out single drive in a run, extend rallies. They were so good at that with guys like Howie Kendrick and Adam Eaton and Asdrubal Cabrera. And then you combine that with the Juan Soto, Anthony Rendon, Ryan Zimmerman home runs that they would get. And that's how you get a championship caliber lineup. They're a long way from that, obviously. But if they can ultimately find that combination, home runs when you have a chance for a big inning and then clutch hits when you just need that one run, you know, they'll finally have something going. There has not been nearly enough of that in either department this year. Are you a law firm partner looking for a better situation for your practice and a blockbuster contract worthy of Kbert Ruiz? If so, you should call Mason Kalfas of Zenith Legal in Washington, D.C. Works with law firms and lawyers on finding the perfect match. No platoons, just superstars. Some lawyers switch firms because of conflict. Some lawyers switch firms for a better platform for their practice. And some lawyers switch firms for more money. You need the Scott Boris of Legal Headhunters working for you, and that's Mason. Mason will work with you to find a better fit for your practice and ultimately the best deal for you and your entire team. Call him today at 202-486-3535 or check out his website, zenithlegal.com. This is an unprecedented time in the legal market, and many top firms are looking to expand. Call Mason today. Zenith Legal also works with associates and distinguishes itself on personal service. Zenith Legal doesn't just spam resumes out to law firms. Zenith Legal talks to the right people and gets your resume in front of the decision makers who matter. Whether you are a rainmaker partner or a mid-level associate, give Mason Kalfas at Zenith Legal a call today to accelerate your career. Call today, 202-486-3535. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Finnegan's 0-1 pitch to half. Swing and a line drive center field. Moving in is Thomas. He makes the catch. Tagging at third is Ortega. He's coming home. Thomas's throw is there, but the tag is in time for the out. Ruiz tags him out. It's a double play as Lane Thomas guns down Ortega trying to score the tying run. Well, you mentioned a huge defensive play in the game on Tuesday night, and no doubt. So Lane Thomas on Tuesday night was an at-starting center fielder and number seven batter. Went one for four uh, with a single and two strikeouts. He did get thrown out on an attempted steal of second base. He in the top of the second had a one-out single, but then got caught on an attempted steal of second for the second out. But he also had a tremendous outfield assist. Really one of the better outfield assists that we've seen from a Nationals player this season. So that Cubs four-run seventh actually could have been worse if not for what Lane Thomas did. Excellent one-hop throw to gun down Rafael Ortega at home plate for a double play for the first two outs of the inning. Now, the Cubs challenged the out at home, but the double play stood. You mentioned K. Bert Ruiz's work on that play. That was key. Made a nice pick. Made a nice tag. And, you know, I was thinking about Lane Thomas. You know, I know that most people would not put him on the same level of Victor Robles defensively, and I don't think that we should. But, you know, not that this is everything, but Victor Robles coming into Tuesday, plus three defensive runs saved in center field this season. Lane Thomas, plus one. He's not a bad. I mean, he's not Robles, and I don't think that the defensive ceiling for Thomas is what it is for Robles, but he can play. And that that throw on Tuesday night really kind of, I think, highlighted that, like, Lane Thomas isn't just necessarily a one-trick pony with the batting to whatever extent he can hit. Like, the guy does have some defensive skills. Yeah, he is an athlete. He's a good athlete. 
you know, the defensive issues have mostly been going back to the wall on balls, which he's gotten better at. We haven't really talked about that the way we were earlier in the year for him. And he does have a strong arm. No, it may not be a Robles arm that you just drop your jaw and say, wow, but that throw was as good as any throw Robles has made. It was really hard. It was right on target. And it rose to the occasion of, you know, it's one thing to have these guys who have great arms and show it off just to show they can get the ball all the way to the plate on the fly and hold a runner at third. It doesn't really matter. Maybe he wasn't really going to run anyways. It's another thing to when potentially the game is on the line to come through with that throw and put it right on the money like that to get a big out. There's an alternate universe here where that is the play of the game, where Finnegan gets out of that inning. They preserve a 5-4 lead. They go on to win and we're saying it's all because of the Lane Thomas throw. Yet another jam escaped by Kyle Finnegan with a double play. We've been like the third time he's done that in various forms over the last month or so. So it was outstanding. And it's in a way, unfortunate, kind of got lost in the shuffle because there was so much else going on in this game. But that was really one of the best defensive plays of the year from the Nationals. Yeah, good stuff from Lane Thomas. Nelson Cruz did leave the game due to soreness, due to an ailment. It feels like he's done that like 100 times this year, but you understand that. It's his age 41 season. He, in the top of the fifth, got pinch hit for by Michael Franco due to Cruz experiencing right shoulder soreness. So we'll see where that takes us. The drought did end on Tuesday night, and the drought was the drought of quality pitching from Nats starting pitchers. It had been quite the run over the last uh, week or so in terms of Nats starting pitching. I mean, look, the starting pitching hasn't been good this season to begin with, but a new level of bad really had been reached over the last five games or so. Leave it to our guy, Paolo Espino, to put a stop to the bad starting pitching. What do they say about an ace? He's a stopper. He stops the losing. Well, Paolo on Tuesday night stopped the losing. One run in five innings. You know, look, dominant, no, but these days, you take that and you run with it if you're a Nats fan in terms of starting pitching. Paolo Espino, five strikeouts versus no walks. He gave up six hits, a homer, a double, and four singles. Issued a hit by pitch, threw 86 pitches, 56 strikes versus 30 balls. He, in the bottom of the second, gave up a leadoff homer to Seiya Suzuki to right field to tie the game at one. But that was it. You know, things had not been going so well for Paolo Espino as a starting pitcher. I mean, by my count, what he did on Tuesday night was his best start since a 2-1 win at Texas all the way back on June 24th. He, in that game, allowed one run in five and a third innings. Things just had not been going all that well for him as a starting pitcher, although I guess technically he did have a complete game in that uh, 5-4, four-and-a-half inning short loss at Philadelphia this past Thursday night. But nice to see this. I mean, it was almost like you weren't sure how to react to it. And that starting pitcher allowing one run in five innings. Like, wow, that actually can happen still. Well, hey, coming off the emotional high of that first career complete game, you knew that he was motivated to try to top that. And he did by going five innings, actually bested his complete game effort from uh, Philadelphia. Look, for this team, five innings and three or fewer runs is a quality start. I don't care what the official stat is for this team that counts. In this case, even better because only the one run. He came through with big pitches when he needed to. A big strikeout of uh, Morrell in the second with two on to get out of that jam. And then, and I thought this was probably the biggest thing, he comes back for the fifth inning. The pitch count's relatively manageable, but he's now got to face the lineup for a third time. We've seen that be an issue for him. We've seen sometimes Davey Martinez doesn't even let him face the lineup a third time. Well, he gets him some trouble, the hit by pitch, the double, the in-hap, and he gets out of it. He gets Suzuki to line out to left and complete the fifth inning. 
I thought that was a big step for him. They needed that desperately. Good vibes all around. It's a shame he was in position to finally earn his first win of the year. It didn't happen because of the stuff that happened later on. But in his mind, he did what he needed to do, gave his team a chance to win. And that so often has not been the case for any national starter here lately. Four Nats relievers on Tuesday night combined to allow four runs in four innings. It was an eventful game for the Nats bullpen. Uh, Rosmo Ramirez, two runs in one inning. He did toss a perfect bottom of the sixth, but in that Cubs four-run seventh got charged with two runs. He gave up three consecutive singles. Kyle Finnegan then came into the game in that bottom of the seventh. Came into the game in one of those typical Finnegan jams that he's been coming into games for. Runners on first and third, nobody out. Nats nursing a 4-2 lead. But Finnegan, you know, some of this was just bad luck, but he ended up giving up four singles and being charged with two runs in what ended up being a 4-1 seventh for the Cubs, who, as I mentioned earlier, totaled seven singles in the inning. I have to note this. You mentioned Paolo not getting the win for the game. Do you know who got the win for the game? Kyle Finnegan got the win for the game. The Nats pitcher, who probably had the worst performance in the game, got the win. And I know I'm probably preaching to the choir at this point, but I mean, what a stupid stat pitcher wins are. I mean, really, what a dumb stat. That a stat can be that the pitcher who has the worst outing in a game in which you use five pitchers, he gets the win. Like, how ridiculous is that? I just, I, I couldn't stand that when I saw that after the game. A Finnegan got the win. Anyway, Andres Machado, bottom of the eighth, faced three batters, got two outs. And then Carl Edwards Jr. Uh, tossed one and a third scoreless innings with three strikeouts for the save. And he got some big outs in this game. Came into the game, bottom of the eighth with two outs, a runner on second, Nats up 6-5, struck out the Cubs' number two batter, Wilson Contreras, on six pitches for the third out. And then Edwards tossed a scoreless bottom of the ninth for the save. So it wasn't necessarily all smooth sailing, but uh, the bullpen ended up being good enough to preserve or at least get the Nats a win. The only thing that would have been more fitting is if instead of Kyle Finnegan, if it was Tyler Clippard getting the win, because he used to make a career out of this, the vulture win, blow the save and still get the win because of the offense after him. I think he even did it in an all-star game once, which was just perfect. Yeah, you know, that's it is what it is. That's the way the stat works. That's why we don't often cite it that much. Although, you know, you'd like for Paolo to get one. He's pitched well enough to earn at least one win, no matter uh, the significance of it. Edwards was the key to this whole thing. Now, first of all, I liked the strategy, Davey, using Finnegan in the seventh inning. We've seen him do this. Heart of the other team's lineup, runners on base. Doesn't matter if it's the seventh or the eighth or the ninth. Going to put his best pitcher in there in the highest leverage spot. The strategy was correct. It just didn't work out because there was that barrage of singles, all of them to right field. I mean, the best hit ball off him was probably the line out to Thomas, which resulted in the double play at the plate. Most of the rest of them were just hit well enough to land in front of Manessis in right field. So that was a frustrating inning for everyone. Now you knew though, if he got out of it, if he didn't, the game was going to fall into the shoulders of Carl Edwards Jr., the former Cub. Back here at Wrigley Field for the first time in three years. Got a nice ovation from the crowd. He was a part of their World Series bullpen, so he's kind of forever going to be loved here for being a part of that, just as so many members of the 19 Nationals will always be fondly remembered. He comes in, he's got to face his good buddy, Wilson Contreras, his forward battery mate, in a tight game in the eighth. And he falls behind the count, and he comes back with back-to-back curveballs to get him out. And he said... There's a mind game going on there because Contreras knows him. He, they know each other's strengths and weaknesses. They think alike all the time. And he said, I got to go with my best pitch. It is his curveball. He threw two beauties to get out of it. 
then comes back in the ninth to get the last three outs and get his first save. And you could tell this one meant something to him. It's only his fourth career save, and it's his first one with the Nationals. And for it to come at Wrigley Field against this team, I think that did mean something to him. And look, maybe in the long run, the Nationals would have been better off trading Finnegan and Edwards and some others in the bullpen. Maybe that would have helped get them pieces. But at least for the rest of the season, it's going to help them win at least a few more games because the bullpen and the depth they have there is one of the few strengths they have on their roster at the moment. Yeah, I'd really like to know more about why Rizzo didn't trade Finnegan or Edwards. Like, did he not trade those guys because the offers just weren't that good? Or did Rizzo not trade those guys because Rizzo genuinely wanted to hold on to those guys? I feel like it's still not crystal clear why exactly those guys ended up not being dealt. And it still is remarkable. The Nats only made two trades. Like, I still cannot get over that. They only made two trades come that deadline now two Tuesdays ago. Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It is time for Window Nation's back to school sale. And what a sale this is. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. Lower your energy bills. Raise the value of your home with new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. Get an A-plus in savings by taking advantage of the back-to-school sale. Again, two free windows for every two that you buy, plus pay nothing with no interest until 2025. Window Nation knows exactly what it's doing. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. And Window Nation offers a variety of windows. Over 1,500 custom window combinations are available, vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. Visit windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you and ask for the back-to-school sale. Again, buy two windows, get two windows free on any style of new window from Window Nation, plus pay nothing until 2025. That's windownation.com or 866-90-NATION, windownation.com or 866-90-NATION, and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. He became available, as we know, you know, we have no lefties in our bullpen. He's a veteran guy. I felt like the last couple of months that, you know, give him an opportunity to hear maybe, maybe we could straighten him out and do, and, uh, and do something for him, you know. So uh, I think that, that was the whole whole plan. I, I love Jake McGee. I had him in Tampa. Um, Hickey's had him. So, you know, we felt like maybe we, we can come here and try, try to straighten him out. Well, we had some Nats news prior to the game on Tuesday. First of all, the Nats on Tuesday afternoon brought in a reliever. They claimed a lefty reliever, Jake McGee, on outright waivers from the Milwaukee Brewers and designated outfielder Donovan Casey for assignment. So first, Jake McGee. He is an older player. This is his age 35 season. He this season has struggled with both Milwaukee and San Francisco, but he last season for the Giants was quite good. 59 and two-thirds innings, ERA at 272, whip of 0.91. McGee pitched for Tampa Bay 2010 through 2015. Davey was the Rays bench coach from 2008 through 2014. And the Nats pitching coach, Jim Hickey, was the Rays pitching coach for 11 seasons, 2007 through 2017. So there's a familiarity there for Davey and Jim with Jake McGee. I had to laugh, though, because 
you know, the Nats are a rebuilding team. It feels like they lead the planet on 30-something players. Like, they have so many guys in their 30s, it feels like, for a team that's rebuilding. And here they are now bringing in a guy age 35 season uh, to help out the bullpen. But then the other angle to all of this is Donovan Casey. As I'm sure many of you listening know, Donovan Casey was one of the four prospects who the Nats got back from the Dodgers for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner in that trade now two Julys ago. And obviously the centerpieces of that trade package that the Nats got back were K-Bert Ruiz and Josiah Gray, but clearly it's not a great look and it certainly is not by design that you're DFAing just about a year after getting the guy, one of the guys who you got in that trade package in Donovan Casey. All right. So first with McGee real quick. Yeah, they're taking a flyer on a guy. They haven't had a lefty out of the bullpen all year. Anybody who was healthy enough and stayed reliable because of the history they have with him. They think there's some things they can work on with him that may allow him to have some success. And maybe then he re-signs with them over the winter and they've got a guy going into next season. So low risk doesn't cost him a lot. Why not? The Casey move, like you said, it's not a good look when you're doing that one year after the blockbuster trade. Now that said, Donovan Casey was not having a good season at AAA, was hitting like 219 on base percentage under 300, wasn't hitting for power. Let's remember that, you know, he was the least touted of the four prospects they got, also an older prospect, 26 years old, and hadn't even made his major league debut yet. So I think the feeling was that the ceiling on him was like a Lane Thomas fourth outfielder type of guy. They looked at him in spring training. They actually called him up briefly in April, and he wound up not even appearing in a game, which is unfortunate. Didn't get to make his major league debut. But there were opportunities for him over the course of the season to play at Rochester and make a case for himself to be called up. He never did. The fact that they called up Josh Palacios, another outfielder instead, last week after the trade deadline made you realize that they're not thinking too highly of Casey because he was on the 40-man roster. Palacios wasn't. You know, it's possible he clears waivers, goes back, he stays in the organization, just no longer on the 40 man. So maybe it's not the last that we've heard of him. So not a guy who was really ever expected to amount to anything huge, but we have seen this organization hang on to other guys for a long time, probably well beyond the point they should have. And for them to actually, in theory, get rid of someone only one year after acquiring him in such a high profile trade. I do think that's surprising, and I think it's not a great look for them. Look, Donovan Casey's development is not going to be the determining factor whether that was a good trade for the Nationals or not. It's all about Cabert Ruiz and Josiah Gray and maybe Gerardo Carrillo, the third prospect, a reliever, possible starter who has had injuries this year and hasn't pitched a whole lot anyway. So that's a whole other story. But you would have liked to see a little more opportunity for Casey, but the fact is he didn't play all that well and kind of uh, put them in a position where they could make that move. Yeah, Casey for AAA Rochester this season, an OPS of just 647. But like you said, it may not be that he's done with the organization. So we'll see. It's not necessarily that he's gone now. DFAing does mean that it's possible that he ends up coming back. The other Nats news item from Tuesday afternoon is a Patrick Corbin update. So when it comes to Patrick Corbin and whether he's going to stay in the rotation, the Nats, I guess they're like splitting the baby, you know, and they're kind of doing it. Well, he's kind of not in the rotation, but he actually still is in the rotation. So his next outing is being skipped, but then he's going to start after that. Davey Martinez in a pregame session with you guys on Tuesday afternoon saying that Corbin's next scheduled start to be skipped. And then Corbin will next start a game on Tuesday night, August 16th, against the Cubs at Nationals Park. 
So I guess this is kind of their way of saying, well, we had to do something. And so this is the something that we're doing. But it sounded like just from reading the quotes in your article, Corbin is staying in the rotation and the outlook beyond this season is for him to be in the rotation, at least the way Davey Martinez described things. So that is what Davey said. And, you know, take him at his word. Things can change. Not to say that that's going to necessarily hold true. Remember Mike Rizzo not that long ago insisted they wouldn't be trading Juan Soto. So don't just assume anything (laughs) at face value right now. But I think this was a case of good timing for them to do this. Obviously, two wretched starts from Corbin over the last three where he didn't even get out of the first inning. It's been a wretched season for him. It's been a miserable three years for him and kind of reaching its low point now. Well, what you have is an off day on Thursday that coincides with his next turn. So you could skip him, start the other four guys. Now you've got, you avoid having Corbin face Juan Soto, Josh Bell, and the Padres. Maybe not the best matchup for him. I don't know if there is such a thing as a good matchup for him right now, but that certainly is not a good one. And then bring him back when they need a fifth starter again, which is Tuesday against the Cubs lineup that is far inferior to what the Padres are putting out there. So they want him to work on some things. He did a long bullpen session here in Chicago, and it was noticeable. Masson had video of this uh, on the pregame show. You not only had Jim Hickey watching, but you also had their analytics and video people there. So I'm thinking there are specific things they want to look at compared to old video and really analyze what he was doing and can it make a difference potentially for him. But I thought the most interesting thing of it all, you alluded to it, Davey basically saying, despite what other people are saying out there, Patrick's going to be a part of our rotation next year and the year after that. Okay. Long way to go between now and then. So don't write anything in pen. Don't put him down as your opening day 2023 starter just yet. But the insinuation at least was this is a quick little break for him to work on some things, try to straighten him out. Ultimately, he's not going anywhere. He's not going to the bullpen. They're not cutting him loose altogether. Publicly, they're saying he is still going to be a part of this rotation moving forward. So a few things. Number one, I'd love to know if that's the first time since the struggle started that the Nats have had their analytics and video people look at Corbin. If it is, then I think that that tells you everything you need to know about why the Nats are where they are. Number two, I have wondered about this. If the Nats are about to be sold, if you're a prospective buyer, do you not want nothing to do with the Corbin contract and nothing to do with the Steven Strasburg contract? And I wonder if any part of a potential sale would be the new owner and the learners arriving at some sort of agreement by which they like split the cost of cutting Corbin and split the cost of trying to negotiate something to get out of that Strasburg contract. And I don't know how realistic that is, but you know there is a theory that the reason the Nats were so gung-ho to trade Soto was that the prospective buyer didn't want that Soto mega extension on the books for whatever reason. Now, that ignites a different conversation of what exactly are we getting in a new owner that doesn't want Soto around, right? But if the prospective buyer didn't want Soto, there's no way the prospective buyer wants Corbin or Strasburg. Put Strasburg off to the side. I wonder if there's going to be something where the new owner and the learners split the cost of cutting Corbin and paying off the rest of that contract because it just doesn't seem tenable going through this for another two years. I mean, assuming that he's not going to get fixed, it certainly doesn't feel like he's going to get fixed by this organization. I mean, you can't keep dancing this dance with this guy. So I don't know. I I think there's a lot that could happen with Corbin. I think this offseason is going to be really interesting in that regard. Yeah, it will be. 
Are they ready to make that move yet with two years to go or will they wait a little bit longer? I don't know. I feel like some point here, it's worth giving him a shot in the bullpen. That is different. It's a different role. It's a role he had success in in 19 in the playoffs. I don't know if it will actually work out for him or not, but maybe in some short bursts as a lefty, he can be a two-pitch guy, fastball slider, not need to have a third pitch. Maybe there is a possibility of that. Now, whether that happens before the end of this season, whether it's something they'd look to do in the offseason going into next year, I don't know. But if it was me, I would at least try that one last-ditch attempt before cutting him loose altogether. But yeah, it's a good question. As with so many other things, the ownership question looms over it all. And until we know the answer to that one, it's hard to know what exactly it means for a lot of different aspects of the organization. Yeah, the bullpen thing does make sense. I don't know how open he is to it, but at this point, I don't know that that really matters. You know, I think at this point, he needs to do what he's told because of where he's at. It has been brutal with him lately, no doubt. Uh, last six starts, 30 earned runs in 21 and two-thirds innings. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the Nats Chat Podcast, hit up Tim Shover's Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com. Hey, shout out to Northwest DC Little League, two wins away from Williamsport and the Little League World Series. When it comes to Washington DC baseball this year, the best team in the district clearly is Northwest DC Little League. So great job, guys, and keep it going. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Nico Horner in right field. The pitch. Swinging a long one deep to right. Down the line. Will it stay fair in the corner? And it is gone. Goodbye. A home run for K-Bear Ruiz. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.